so here we are in the fifth part of our uh, five-part interview with Susie Parkers, expert in uh, spiritual, physical, emotional well-being, uh, trauma resolution, uh, well-being, work-life balance. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things in this series. It's been really, really, really fascinating. And the final part is going to be a little bit more practical, I guess, uh, talking about how you have helped people in their work and um, about unresolved experience as well. So case studies, let's talk about some kind of practical examples of uh, the things that we've discussed in the previous episodes. Okay, perfect. Um, I mentioned obviously the HR person before and, and touched upon it briefly. So we got her from her, you know, when I met her, it was 35 hours and gone up to 65 hours. And, you know, she self she was a self-proclaimed rather um, doormat, which is very bad um, terminology. It's not healthy sort of self-conversation um, because it's self-deprecating and it's you know talking about oneself negatively. So that's obviously a red flag right there because um, you'd never say nasty things to other people. So why say it about yourself? Because it's only reinforcing that you don't think you're worthy and good enough, and then it creates these patterns and behaviours. So. Um, you know, we looked into that and I said, why do you say that? And she said, well, you know, if I don't do it, nobody will do it or everyone else is busy. So I should just get on with it, which is why her to-do list was never ending and why she was always staying late and going into work early, which then compromised her ability to, you know, go to the gym, work out, spend time cooking proper food rather than, you know, grabbing food. And so, you know, we, I said to her, have you, have you got a team? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why aren't you delegating? Because I don't want to put on them. But why do you think you've got a team? Because there's obviously an expansive workload that is beyond one person. And if you don't give them stuff to do, what will happen is your team will get taken away from you because you will be deemed to be so competent that you don't need support. And then the company can therefore save money by letting go of some employees and you'll be in a worse situation. And for her, that was a massive realization, believe it or not. So we started looking at delegating. And I said to her, you know, as a senior level employee, if you feel that your team that are there to support you are not capable of doing tasks within this department, which they've you know, been employed to do, then you've got two things going on. You've either got people who are purposefully taking longer to do something to stretch out their work because they've got lazyitis, or you've got people who aren't as fully skilled to do what they need to do. And therefore, as their manager and boss, you need to support them and see where they're struggling and you know plug the gaps in their knowledge so that the task that's maybe taking three hours to do only takes 30 minutes to do, which then gives them an extra you know two and a half hours to then take work off you. And she's like, oh, and it's just about really thinking about, you know, the people around you. And whilst they're there to support you, you need to support them too, because you come under the umbrella of team. So that was a massive revelation. And then we were looking at um, what she likes to do from a fitness perspective, because where she worked and where she lived was a massive commute. So then we said, well, why can't you find something that's within easy distance of where you work? So that you're not rushing to get on a certain train at a certain time to get back at a certain time, then get changed, whatever, and go to the gym. Rather, find something closer within five to 15 minutes distance. Go do that and then go home. And at least you don't arrive in a stress state. You know that you can leave by said time and you'll still get there on time and be in the right frame of mind to do whatever it is you want to do. 
And um, I, I asked her to journal as an example, as a form of self-reflection. I really believe that everyone should be journaling and, and self-reflecting all the time, especially at the end of the day or the morning after and reflecting on the day before. And trying to fit in journaling and meditation was proving to be really difficult. So I said, right, well, you've got a commute of an hour. So rather than being affected by the energy of the daily commute, why don't you stick your headphones in and do your meditation on the train? So you can distance yourself between you and that energetic space and give yourself that sort of Zen time before you go into work. And then you can journal or read on the way home, but at least use that time productively for yourself. So you don't feel that when you go home, you've got more stuff to do on top of everything else. So it was just about looking at time again, and how to make the best use of it that's most beneficial to you know, you as a person and her in that case. Um, there was a, another example I can give you of a sales director who initially came to me for some support in terms of online and offline networking because he was just watching how I do things and thought I did it really well and needs to go out there and start networking. And that conversation ended up going somewhere very interesting in terms of him explaining to me that he's a prolific problem solver and he can go from problem to solution in nanoseconds and yet he's got this massive downline who just can't keep up with him and he gets really frustrated so i explained to him that you know you would again you wouldn't have a team if you could be a one man band and you need to find a way to involve your team because it's about that camaraderie it's about you being a leader it's about people feeling like they're part of a unit and not just cogs in a wheel so I said him as an example, I, d- I obviously don't know the functionality of what goes on in that department, but I said, if within your problem solving, you identify a need for, let's say, a coder, well, we know coders are a breed unto themselves. And, you know, they're normally in their shorts and flip-flops in a dark room, and they speak a completely different language to the rest of us. But put them, you know, in a space where they can express themselves and come to life and utilize their knowledge and skills to be part of the problem solving you know you're making them feel involved so it would be right we've got this problem I identify that we need some coding to happen here so I don't know John the coder can you just explain how this would look to everybody and and what it would require and time frames and everything else and you're giving that person the ability to speak up rise up and feel like they're part of something and not just a cog and that goes for every person in that department who's part of a process. Because I said to him, if you think about it like a dog walker, if you're walking the Alsatian along with the chihuahuas and everything in between, you're setting the pace. But then you've got your little dogs who are going 100 miles an hour whilst your big dogs are just taking it in their stride. And when you get to the finish line, you've got you know the ones that are at death's door and, and hot and sweaty because they've been going at 100 miles an hour. And then you've got the other ones that have been taking it in their stride. And as a manager, you need to be able to see where your team is at, who's struggling, who needs that support, where you need to slow down, where you need to speed up. That is the sign of a good manager, someone who isn't just setting the agenda, but is mindful of what's going on around them. You know, it comes back to what you were saying before about the senior level people having that sense of responsibility for the, the staff beneath them. And I was, you know, trying to impress that upon him that you can't say that my my downline are useless and 
and look at them in that way because energetically they pick up on that they pick up that you don't believe in them and that you're frustrated with them we everything is energy and you need to come at it from a different perspective and come from a place of support and care and nurturing and it will you know raise up people's confidence and sense of self and sense of belonging and their their want to come into work and they want to over deliver will also increase and but he went on to explain to me that he bulldozed his way to the top because of the kind of person he is and he doesn't understand the mentality of the people beneath him but I I said again it's about meeting people where they're at and from a personal level he was telling me that he would never confide in his peers on his level if he was struggling because you know it's it's a personal thing and it's pride and he certainly wouldn't go to the people above him because he doesn't want anyone to know that he's struggling and compromise his position and he's certainly not going to go to the people beneath him because they're looking up to him and that's where having somebody like me as an external sounding board is obviously very helpful but but this comes back to sort of the mental health thing again if people don't understand where you're struggling they will keep on putting on you because to them you are a beacon of strength and support and they look up to you and it makes them feel less than because they are struggling. And it's about being real as human beings and, and understanding how to navigate those boundaries and those professional boundaries. So those are a couple of um, examples. And then, again, we were looking at the passion, purpose, values piece previously. And, you know, wherever you're at in the company, whether, you know, you're at the top or it's your, your role, it's really important that you understand your skills and what interests you and that you make that known. Um, this is another conversation I've obviously had with other people where, you know, there are certain tasks within their job spec that for whatever reason, they're just, it's just not working. They can't get their head around it or it's taking them longer than it should do through no fault of their own. It's just not their natural skill set. And it's important that you speak up and you say, I either need support or can, you know, can my colleague take that on? And I'm happy to take on something of theirs that I feel totally comfortable with. It's about owning your role. But first, you need to own yourself. You need to be really honest with yourself about where you excel and where you struggle and and making sure you get that support. I mean, there's these different um, personality tests out there as an example that will tell you, you know, whether you're more creative, whether you're more mechanical, whether you're more numerical. And sometimes we end up in jobs where people think that we're a good fit, but actually you need to take some responsibility too and say, well, with that job spec, I think I'm good for 75% of it. The other 25%, I'm not so sure. And kind of negotiate your role a little bit because then you will be excelling in your role. And I know an employee would rather you do 75% really well um, than not do well at all or just be struggling and then it impacts the whole picture so we have to take responsibility for our, ourselves because we are um, human beings who are constantly evolving and our skill sets are both growing and declining I mean as an example I used to be really interested in technology and I'm not so much now I've gone far more into the creative space because I'm evolving and we need to own that side of ourselves and again that comes into the whole life audit, life MOT thing and reconnecting with yourself. And and that's what I've been praised for a lot is helping people to really connect with their true selves and understand their full potential beyond what they're showing up with and then actualize it. But it's 
really about doing the the inner work and putting yourself under the microscope in order to excel. There's something in there which I think probably deserves its own um, podcast at another time, which is which is something we've, we've discussed before in sort of different capacities, which is the role of the line manager. And um, mm-hmm. you mentioned about how important that was about line managers understanding their teams and uh, how to get the best out of them and, and, you know, being sensitive to people being overworked or not speaking up and that sort of thing. And I think line managers really are so important when it comes to uh, a functioning team and a functioning business. And there's maybe not enough uh, more people are being asked to manage, maybe without the, uh, s- the the skills in quote marks to do so, and there probably needs to be more help, more literature, more advice, more practical tips and ideas for people who are being asked to do this. I think, but um, I think that's a conversation that we should have, but another time. But um, Susie, it's been a brilliant five episodes. Where can people find you on the social channels and el- and elsewhere? Um, thank you very much for having me. Um, you can find me um, more often than not on my website, which is www.suzyparkus.com, which is S-U-Z-I-E-P-A-R-K-U-S.com. And all my social channels are at Susie Parkus. Very easy to find. Lovely. Well, uh, Susie, it's been brilliant talking to you. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you.